Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. How you doing? As I'm recording this, we are two days away from Thanksgiving. I love the Thanksgiving holiday this time of the year. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? I'm thankful for my family, thankful for my employees, my staff, my people that work so hard for me. I'm thankful for you guys who listen to this podcast. It's been crazy, man. Hasn't 2020 been one of the craziest years ever? 2021 may be just as crazy, maybe more. Who knows, right? But uh, this thing I do know, that God is good right? Like all the time. I can hear this guy at church whenever our pastor says God is good. He yells from the back of the church all the time. He's a big black guy. He's just so much fun, but all the time, right? So we have so much to be thankful for to God. And this isn't a religious Christian podcast. I mean, maybe it actually is. It's really, it's a real estate investing mastery podcast, but I know I couldn't be here. I couldn't have the success that I have without God. So I hope all of you all take a minute during this Thanksgiving time. And even if you're listening to this a month later, stop right now what you're doing. I'd encourage you to just say a quick word of thanks to God, because if it wasn't for him, none of us would be here. None of us would be doing this. Even if you believe in him or not, you wouldn't be here without him. So just say thanks to him, would you? Cool. So this podcast series is called Deals Gone Bad. And this is episode number 17 in the series. And I'm thinking about doing a podcast series real soon here, interviewing people like this in the same kind of a format, but asking them about deals gone good, like talking about their first deal. And so just stay tuned for that. That's the series I'm going to be doing real soon here, talking about first deals. What was your first deal like? And how did you do it? And the lessons learned. And if you were to talk to yourself back then, after having done so many deals today, what would you tell yourself and all that good stuff? So stay tuned for that. Got a lot of cool things in store for this podcast in 2021. My goal is to be the longest running real estate investing podcast out there. And there's only like three or four guys ahead of me. And I probably shouldn't even be talking about it because if they knew that I was gunning for them, wanting to have a longer real estate podcast in theirs, that would probably fire them up to do even more, which is not my goal. I don't want them to do anymore. But anyway, this is a good podcast series because what we're doing is we're listening and learning from guys that have rebounded. They've done a lot of business. And if you haven't been in the business, if you haven't had a bad deal yet, if you've not had your shorts handed to you, right? Or whatever the phrase is, then uh, you've not been in business long enough. You've not done enough deals. We've all had bad deals. And the great thing about learning from people that have made mistakes or had bad deals in the past is how they rebounded from it. What did they learn from it? And what would they have done differently? And learning these kinds of things will help you avoid the same mistakes. Okay. And so uh, this podcast we're doing today is with a good friend of mine. He's been doing real estate investing in the St. Louis area for a long, long time. And his name is Tim Grimmett. And uh, he helped coach one of the guys who got me started. One of the guys who helped me in the business. He's been in it for a long, long time. His name is Tim Grimmett. Oh, but first, let me just say something I forgot. Tim, thanks for being so patient, man. I see you there. 
I haven't forgotten you. <laughs> um, if you want the notes from these podcasts, we, right now all of the notes are in a mind map, the transcripts, the links to the videos and everything like that. If you want the notes, you can get the notes by texting the word BAD to 313131. Every podcast we've done in here has been, we've been talking about lessons learned. What would you have done differently? How would you do this differently? What would you tell other people? And so we're collecting all of those notes and putting them together. And if you want that those notes, right now they're in a mind map. Pretty soon they're probably going to be in a PDF or a book or something. Text the word BAD to 313131 or just go to joemccall.com slash BAD and you'll get all the notes. The other thing I want to say too, is if you're watching this live on uh, Facebook or YouTube or Periscope right now, pretty soon LinkedIn, if I can figure out how to make that work, then comment down below. Comment below the video and on Facebook, on YouTube, and just say hello. Tell us where you're from. Like Kimberly right here says, all the time, God is good. She's right. So if you've got questions for me or for Tim as we go through this podcast, type them in the comments and give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the page, and share this. We really appreciate the feedback from, from you all. Okay, cool. I think we need to bring Tim on. Enough of me talking. Tim, how are you, sir? Fabulous. And just excited to be here with you today. And I echo what you said. God is good all the time. All the time. Does it matter if you believe in him or not? It does, but it's not going to make a difference. He's still good. Cool. Well, Tim, you I first heard about you through Sean McCloskey, mutual friend. And what year was that? Like he came to you one time. I love this story. He was just getting started. He asked if you would help him learn the ropes and learn how to do deals. And uh, you kind of reluctantly agreed to help him. And he tells a story. It's really funny where you told him, all right, go look for these deals, right? And he would bring them to you. And you had the real specific order of what you needed to see. You needed to see this on the first page and this on the second page and this on the third page. And if if he had any of it wrong, you gave it back to him and said, nope, go back, do it again, do it right. How long ago was that? It's uh, probably 2003, 2004. I got involved in real estate in about 1999. Uh, he tells a story so aggressively angry. That <laughs> makes me feel bad. That was a time when things was happening, when it was busy. And he said, I just literally threw it in a trash can. Oh, um, you did. That's right. You threw it, it in a trash can. It happened like that. Uh, he says that he'd come to my office and sit outside the room for you know two hours and wait till I got done. And then when I'd come out, he'd say, okay, now here's my chance. And life was pretty chaotic back then, um, but he was persistent. And you know, Sean is going to make it happen. Yeah, that's a funny story. I forgot. He did say you were angry and you made him wait for two hours and he threw his leads in the trash can. So that you've been doing this business now, it's that 17 years now, you know, almost 18, 19 years. Yep. Yep. It's been a long, well, 20 to 99, 20, 21 years. Wow. In St. Louis? In St. Louis the whole time. Still plugging away? Still do it every day. How many deals do you think you've done? How many houses have you bought and sold? Probably around 200. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, make readies that you do because it's rentals. You, you, I may touch a rental five or six times, you know, in that time period, but house-wise, probably about 200 houses. That's amazing. Cool. And that's your full-time income? Is that what you're doing full-time still today? Full-time income and coaching as well. Coaching real estate arena and how to buy investment property and hold them long-term, change your life. And then a little more into relationship coaching just recently. So yeah. Super cool. All right. So let's talk about this deal gone bad. This is hilarious. I mean, not funny, but you couldn't have asked or expected this to happen to anybody. Four hours after you bought this house, 
a tree fell on it, right? And did you even have insurance yet on it? Uh, that's the exciting part about it. No, I did not have insurance on it, but the short answer. This house came to me from one of my students that I had in the past. And she said, hey, you know, she knows I like a lot low-end property. I paid $5,000 for it. That's really good. Let's talk about that for a second here. Where do you like to invest? We're both in St. Louis. Where are you looking to buy your houses? I would look in uh, what you would call the C environment. It's safe. I call it safe, but it's low end. It's houses that can be paid off in one year, two years, three years max. So it's good bones, nice neighborhood. You get to it easily from the highways. You know, it's it's just a blue collar working environment. I don't like a lot of debt, having suffered the downturn of 2008, nine, 10. Anyway, it's just a new philosophy I've taken. I'm, I'm re-looking at that. Uh, now that I've got enough properties, I might be upgrading a little bit into the B market uh, with a little longer term investment and debt load, um, but you get better tenants. So uh, this environment is, I'm sure we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, how is that tenant in the C neighborhood faring in this environment? Yeah, that's an interesting topic. So look, give an example of a house that you, over the years that you've typically invested in, in the C neighborhoods, what price range, what do they rent for? Price range are going to be for me picking them up anywhere from seven to twenty thousand dollars, and I will probably put less than ten thousand dollars investment into it. So they're no more than thirty six thousand all in, three bedroom, one bath, and they'll rent anywhere from seven fifty to nine fifty. Okay, now that doesn't mean they're worth that much. You're buying them still at significant discounts, fifty percent or less usually where I'm at. So these things fixed up. If you were to sell them to a I don't. I don't want to say disrespectfully, but if you were to sell them to a California investor, um, what would what would they what would they buy these properties for? Fixed up? Oh, they would be somewhere between forty five and fifty five, maybe sixty thousand dollars. Okay, um, and they'll rent for seven to nine hundred bucks. They still cash flow two fifty a month after sold and twenty year financing. Which is interesting because you know if you are a wholesaler, right? Tim Grimmett is not going to be your buyer. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Tim Grimmett's going to be the guy who is selling these things. Your buyer are the guys in California, right? And, and you're going to fix them up a little bit. And, and Tim has bought properties from me before, but they were like rough. They were rough areas. Tim bought them, got a great deal on them and flipped them immediately after and made a nice handsome profit. Yeah. So Tim's really good at that, <laughs> but he knows the business. So, all right. So um, where was this property located that you're, we're going to be talking about? It's located in Jennings, Missouri, which is about five miles from the airport. If you're familiar with St. Louis, uh, you just continue going east on 70 for about five exits, get off, and it's right there, the brick home. Uh, it actually had been moved from the city. There's a little history that went to the story. Mm -hmm. you know, a tree falls on your house. Everybody in the neighborhood comes out and looks at it and tells you all the stories. But the owner had moved that house from, I believe, Penrose down in the city to this location. So mm -hmm. it was a very solid house. It was definitely yeah. a solid, solid house. When was it built? I don't know, but it, it's 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 old. It was probably 70 or 80 year old house, I believe. Okay. When it's moved, it got put there, I want to say 64, 65 is when they moved it. To the it's fascinating. Why didn't they just build a new home? Why did they move it? I don't know. Uh, it was a double lot and the parents moved the house. The woman who lived in the house lived across the street and told me this story about that house. Hmm. And so how did you find it? Uh, one of my students, uh, Melanie Claiborne, called me up. It had fire damage. The kitchen had been burnt out, and uh, the rest of the house was intact. Uh, I knew from my skills, that's about a $7,000 repair. And, you know, I'd have the house paid off in about a year and rent for eight eight fifty, dollars And it'd take me about a month to put it back together. 
So that was my scheme on the on the house when I first got told about it. And I buy a ton of houses from wholesalers. They just know I, I'm the junk man. <laughs> they, they call me with all their, their stuff that nobody else wants. Yeah, that's why I sold you those two or three houses, if you remember. <laughs> yeah, we won't name that person, but it was a beautiful house. I put $1,500 into it, rented it out, and ended up selling it for like $17,000 and got one of my best coaching students ever out of it. Did you really? Yeah. Good for you. We won't go into that story. Uh, that's another... I should interview that guy. Yeah, you should. But I don't think he would want to talk about it. No, not at all. <laughs> There's the long story, but a lot of you guys have, know who this is. Yeah. And um, you'd be shocked. It's really a sad story of how he got suckered into buying, buying these things. and It happens so often, though. Yeah. Sure. Maybe that's another podcast talking about how to avoid those, those kinds of mistakes. All right. So um, this is a typical house that you like to buy. Good solid bones, three beds, one bath in the, you know, in an area where some people, it scares some people, but it's not the war zone, but you're right there on the border and uh, you get good solid blue collar working class people into these homes. But also typically these houses are older, right? So there's more maintenance that's going to be required on these properties. And you'll probably have a higher turnover. Would you say you have a higher turnover in these areas? Definitely higher turnover. I mean, no one's staying two years or more typically. First-time renters, definitely credit is blemished. Have a story, at least two or three stories. Mm -hmm. And it's a gut feeling. And then just having dealt with people after a while, this particular person was one of my prior tenants coming from a true war zone. And she was a great tenant there. So I had no problem with her. It was just getting past all the inspections and know this was COVID environment. Um, That's kind of how it all happened in the first place. I actually had to close going through the bank drive-through. Oh, so you just bought this recently. Oh, yeah. This was April 8th of this year. I moved up closing one week just to accommodate. The guy had... Paid off from his insurance guy, you know, for the fire damage. And I'm like, sure, I'll move it up a week, no problem. And that's when everything changed. You know, you couldn't go to the title company, you had to wire money out of the bank. And after spending about an hour in a bank drive through trying to figure out the wiring instructions, getting it straight, uh, it threw me out of my normal pattern. And then when I got done, it's like, I'm just going home and I didn't order insurance. And that was the horrible part is because I have normally have a checklist you go through, you know, you've done this many, many times, but you normally don't go through the drive-thru and close on your property. Oh my gosh. Kind of what threw me out of whack. And then um, I get home and just chill out for the rest of the evening. Wake up the next morning and kind of panic because it's like, I never got insurance. And I called my insurance guy who I'd never seen before. And he's like, oh, no problem. You know, uh, we can put it on. It'll start at 12 o'clock, you know, from last night. I'm like, cool. And about two hours after that, I get a call from Melanie saying, hey, did you see that email that I sent you last night? I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, oh, I sent you some photos. I'm like, no. So let me check it out. So spin around, check out. Now I see these pictures, which it looks like a huge tree is laying on my house <laughs> about dusk. So it's about seven o'clock or so. And then you get that real sick feeling in your stomach and call my insurance guy back. And he's like, hey, Tim, I'll meet you out at the property. We'll take a look at it. Don't worry, because um, both you and the seller are represented by our company. I'm like, well, that gave me some assurance. Mm-hmm. So we drive out there about noon, get to the property. I mean, the tree, the circumference of the tree, maybe 12, 13 foot, um, and, and just laying across the house. The, the, the best part of this story is that it fell on the kitchen. Wow. The car- part that was burnt. So we meet out there. He's talking. He once again, he reassures me, you know, just get it, you know, get the house taken care of. Tree so let me, let me ask you a question about this, because this is something that I know of, I have a lot of people wondering about. You buy a house that's been fire damaged, right? The seller maybe has already received the money from the insurance company. Yes. They don't have, do they have to put that money into fixing the house up? So they, they if, if you buy the house 
the sellers already received the insurance money. They didn't put it into the house to fix it up. You still buy it. You'll still buy that house. I'll still buy that house. All right. And so there's no, there's no kind of law or rule that says that money from the insurance company has to be put into the house. Not that I'm aware of. Now, he may have an issue with the county if he leaves a house in a derelict situation. That's because he bypassed them. Sometimes like in a city, they will receive the insurance claim and he has to do the work and then they release the claim against the house. I've been involved in some of those deals, but he got the check directly because it worked. It wasn't totally devastating. I sent you the photos. I don't know if you got the link, but um, we do. It wasn't where it would create a hazardous environment for anybody walking through the neighborhood. Okay. So anyway, I was allowed to purchase the property. The insurance guy meets me over there, tells me, you know, get the tree off the house and we'll be reimbursed because we both were insured by his company. That was the story. Okay. Do you want to look at the pictures? Sure. All right. I'm going to put them up on my screen here. Those of you watching on YouTube or even on my podcast page, realestateinvestingmastery.com, you can see the, the pictures. So let me get it right here. Do you see it, Tim? I do. Okay. This is the front of the house. That's a nice looking house. That's what it looked like when I went to purchase it. It was, you know, it wasn't intact. You go through a couple more pictures and show the end. There's some fire. It looks like some smoke coming up through the front door. Yep. It was fire damaged in most of the upstairs unit. That's what it looked like on the side. You see the tree? Big tree in the back. Yes. Holy smokes. But it was some smoke damage on the inside where the fire department had been there. And, you know, what did you buy the house for again? The house I purchased for $4,000 and I paid the wholesaler $1,000. $4,000. Now this smoke would scare somebody. It would. And there Why was wouldn't it scare you? Because I know that you can paint, right. you know, you clean it and you paint right over top of it. And you have to use some kind of special kilts paint or something, right? Like a heavy duty. We used a brick cleaner to clean off the all the stuff on the inside. But the problem was in between when the insurance company said they would pay for it. And when I got a letter 30 days later, 45 days later saying, nope, you're on your own. It had rained inside my house for a month. That created more of a challenge dealing with the mold and so forth that, you know, had to deal with. This tree is huge. Yes. That you can see the root ball is taller than those guys. And later on, you'll see that the stump is 10 foot tall. There's a basketball goal beside it. Wow. Yeah. Look how it's like two or three feet taller than these guys. Yes. And it was just windblown. It wasn't rain. It wasn't anything. It wasn't anything that would make you think like, oh, that tree is going to fall down tomorrow. Holy smoke. So this tree, that's <laughs> that's the inside of the house right there. Yes. The tree is on the ground. It's still 30 foot above the house. Okay. <laughs> the tree is laying down and it's still way up here. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you had to hire, how much did it cost you to? The tree removal was $4,900 in itself. Holy smokes. That was a deal. That, that is a deal. Yeah. Like, but still, that's a lot of money. Yes. It was a but deal. this tree is so big. $4,900 to remove the tree. Oh, as you can see, it's taller than the, the gold post. Holy smokes. A basketball post right there. Yes. And it just was wind blown. It just blew over. Just wind blown. And it wasn't really a lot, a strong wind. It was just the leaves were all on the tree, the roots. Thank God nobody was in the house. Yes, definitely. And that would have definitely killed somebody if they were in there yep. or could have. So you went in and you fixed it up. We'll talk about this in a minute. It looks nice. We're just looking here at the rehab pictures and looks like you got a new, at least half of a new roof. Are these your own crews? These are people I work with. I no longer have crews. You know, after being in business 20 years, I've got lots of contacts. That's my wife. She's my oh. personal painter. Oh, she's your painter. You pay her, right? 
uh, yes, we, I take her out to lunch every day that we finish working. So obviously in order to recoup some of the cash in here, I had to do a lot of the work internally that I don't do normally at this level, but we put that back together a lot of hours and that was during the COVID season. So we had just moved the year earlier. So I was working on my house at home and we're working on this house. So it was good. It was, you know, a, a nice time when you we were supposed to be quarantined. We were just working on the house and getting it put back together. Looks so like you, looks like you did a great job. So you had to redo the kitchen. Yep. Kitchen had to be totally redone, you know, and in, in, in that time frame, you know, it took time to do the plumbing, do the electric, mm. put it all together. And it was just a uh, total gut in the kitchen. But the rest of the house was intact. A half a bucket of mud upstairs. And then we put about 10 sheets of drywall in the basement because all the water had run through and, you know, killed the, the upper ceiling in the basement. But once that was done, it was just a paint. It was paint the kitchen, the bathroom we put back together, uh, took it down to the studs in the bathroom, put a new tub surround in. But really everything up electric, obviously, electric was totally fried because it was knob and tube. So when you knock out the, the ceiling or the roof, it killed a lot of the knob and tube. So that was a, an expense that I really hadn't anticipated, about $5,000 just rewiring. All right. Well, let's rewind a little bit. The ins- you had The insurance guy said, yeah, we'll cover it. You know, the same insurance company covered, had the sell, the previous owner and you, right? Yes. Is, is this, uh, you don't have to name the name of the company, but is it hard to find insurance companies that insure homes in these neighborhoods? Not for me, no. There's okay. a great guy that I refer all my students to, and he covers probably 80% of everyone. Their company probably covers 80% of all the rehabs in St. Louis, I would guess. Okay. Um, very well-known company. And the company was did fantastic. It was just, there was a gap. He thought that, the owner's insurance that was sold it to me would cover to midnight, and then my insurance would pick up from midnight going forward. However, we learn in real estate law, the moment you sign at the closing is when the sale is consummated. Even though you may have been days away from this, like it was, we didn't close for several days because the money had to transfer, it had to hit, you know, all that stuff. But the moment I signed at whatever... 4.45 in the afternoon. The other guy was in California. And so the moment I signed is when the deal was done. Even though the money had not transferred? It had not transferred. Oh, wow. Even though the money didn't transfer until the next day, the moment that for real estate law, it happened the day prior to the, the tree falling. Apart. So I'm thinking that, hey, I'm covered, he's covered, and the money didn't transfer. So the, the deal doesn't go through until the money. Because in a real estate transaction, in a homeowner, you don't get to move into the house until the money transfers. And then you get keys. You exchange, mm-hmm. you get to move in the house. But that's not so. Even if it's days before they get to move in, it still goes back to the moment when you sign the document. All right. So the insurance company said, sorry, you're out of luck. They wow. said, sorry. And now you know it's all on me. So how do you rehab a house that should have been seven grand, which turns into about 40,000? And that's including the note that I had and private money I had already borrowed and uh, the cost of the house, everything is total. The rehab probably was around 30 grand, just getting a tree off, putting it back together. And then now you, you're faced with a government which won't come and inspect your property. So I wait 30 By the way, in in St. Louis, in this area, you have to get it inspected before you can get occupied. It's called an occupancy inspection. You have to get it inspected before you can get the electric back on. So, you know, in the fire, they disconnected everything, water, gas, and electric. So now you're trying to get a wiring inspection before you can even get, you know, so that was the challenge we had with all those different steps and trying not to be upset with too many people. But 
if you know me, I'm just not going to wait and sit around. So I go across the neighbors, you know, I'm trying, I got to get electric from somewhere. So I get what turns out to be a blessing because my wife is with me. Everybody knows her in North County because she taught special school district for 28 years. Oh. The ones right beside the house knew Nancy. Really? And, ah, I heard her scream and I was like, well, somebody knows us. And we were able to run electric cord for a month from her house to our house to run generators and do what we needed to do and do all the work to make it happen until we got all the inspections. And we never got an inspection. Uh, we got a wiring inspection that said, go ahead and turn it the, hot, the electric hot. And from that point on, they were like, take pictures, take pictures, take pictures. And we did it. I didn't get an inspection until the woman, you, the final pictures you saw, and the woman walked through for an occupancy inspection. She retroed all the other ones back. Wow. Which is totally rare. Totally. That, yes. Totally. Well, see, that goes to say that she probably just trusted you and your reputation. I have bought many houses in Jennings and the people at City Hall knew me and I had some good favor, as you say. Wow. And we did the work. I mean, we did the work. I mean, we put it always back together as if we're going to live there. Um, and I tell that story and I actually did move into one of my rental properties and lived there for 14 years. So that's the, that's the quality we put it back to. And a lot of people laugh at them. They go, Tim, you always cut corners. Like I tell them it's neat, clean, and functional. Because in a C neighborhood, you don't put granite countertops yeah. in a house. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. So how much, run through the numbers again. How much did you buy it for? What did you put into it? And even what are your carrying costs? Because you, Did you use private money for this? I did. Okay. Real, real private money at the end. <laughs> yeah. I started out, had a $10,000 private loan that came to me before I even closed on the property. I just made a phone call and she said, okay, I'm sending you the cash. So $10,000 arrived before I even purchased the property. I bought the property for $5,000 and I had about $25,000 worth of true expenses. And then the year prior, I that same coaching student, we had bought a package of 11 properties together and we had sold all of them. I had the best year ever last year. Coaching was great. And so I had a little bit of money in the, in the bank and then got to use it all in putting this together. So then once we were finished, we got it all occupied. I refied out with a local bank, which there is redlining in St. Louis, no matter what they tell you. I mean, there's several banks that will not touch this property, but there's one go-to bank that I have that she goes, you need to call out those other banks. And I'm like, I will not do that. Is that, how can that keep on, how can that be happening? Let me tell you, there are magical formulas that they have. They have distances they can only go from your bank. There's all kinds of stories that you will be told of why they can't rent or refinance. Uh, it's too low. The loan amount is too small. All of these stories you get, but it really comes down to them protecting their portfolio. And I can't blame them for that. It's just that I'm trying to do business in an area that still needs home loans. Yeah. There's still people living there. And this one bank that I have this nev has never given me a problem in financing those areas. Wow. And I appreciate that. Well, good for them. Do you want to mention their name since they're doing good work? Uh, FCB Bank. SBC? F. F is in Frank CB. They're an Illinois bank and Collinsville. They will always do the loans. Wonderful. There's a location branch right at Lindbergh and Halls Ferry in North County. Mm -hmm. I said, you can say FCB Bank. FC. FCB Bank. FCB Bank. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Those guys could do that. Good yep. for them. Okay. So you're all in how much on this deal? All in $41,000. That's everything. Everybody being paid off. I refinance out for $28,000 because they only gave you 70% of what you have in the property. We appraised at like $45,000, which, you know, it takes a little bit of the sting out of it, but. Yeah. Okay. And then what are you renting it for? 
the rent's for eight twenty five a month. It's fantastic. Yep. So I'm cash flowing four fifty, four forty five a month. That um, is awesome. All right. So you're still cat. You're in this more than you had expected. Yes. But it's not a total loss. I mean, you're getting a great ROI on your money. But it is a fabulous property, and it's you know obviously now everything is new on the inside, new roof, new whatever air conditioner, furnace, all works fine. New electric plumbing we redid. Hardwood floors, so you don't have to worry about that. Bathroom got updated. Kitchen's new. So there's, there's, you know, it's it's good for another 20 years. You yeah. know? So um, it's a fabulous property. It's just that it's now a 15-year note that I, I have to endure, but it's okay. I so even see. with a 15-year note, you're still cash flowing 400 and something bucks a month. Yes. And you're paying it off aggressively. You yeah. probably pay them off faster than the 15 years or what? Yes. All right, man. I would have it paid off five to seven years, all my properties. That's I put it on a 15, 20 year time frame, but I goal is to pay it off in seven years. So your private investors, are they paid off or you still owe a little bit to them? I paid them off when I got refinanced because I like her. She's She'll send me 10 grand anytime I need it and just for whatever, 10, 15. I got another guy who'd give me 20. So I that's the type. I just piecemeal those together with uh, self-directed IRA money. Nice. And, and you never have to wait. So I don't have to worry because my hard money lender, who I love, I won't talk about her either, but she's <laughs> not going to finance that deal. <laughs> so I now, what, what approximate interest rates, if you don't mind sharing, are you paying your private lenders? and 10%. 10%. And, that's a, and they have that money in a self-directed IRA. Yeah, just sitting there. Nice. Very good. Are you, this is a, a buy and hold property you're keeping for yourself. Yes. Do you have plans on selling it at all? or I do not. I'll keep this one. And there's even more part of this story. As the house you know, that fell down, the guys that came across the street and want to tell you the whole story, he says, hey, this guy's trying to get rid of the house right next to me. And I'm like, well, how does he want for it? He said, it's already ready to go. He said, I think he wants 20 grand for it. I'm like, well, get in touch with him. So he gets in touch with him. It's, this is probably like two months later as I'm fixing the house. I walk through the house with him. This guy is a executive. He wants to get rid of all his rentals this year. I walk through it and I say, well, there's about 15 hundred dollars worth of work that needs to be done i'll give you uh 1500 or fifteen thousand. Fifteen hundred. Oh my okay i said i'll give you uh nine thousand dollars for it and he or whatever eight thousand dollars he says no i need more than that he says how about nine and i go deal so i bought the house it needed fifteen hundred dollars worth of work for nine thousand dollars and you know the lord told me give that one to the nonprofit blessings to others so i was kind of frustrated about that because i was like now i'm gonna get my cash back and i might be able to get a little gain and i end up you know, giving that one to uh, the nonprofit, less to others, which is affordable housing. And then out of that, the guy called me later and said, hey, I've got a buddy that's father-in-law died. He's got three properties he wants to sell. Um, would you be interested? I'm like, sure. You look at sometimes it's the bad side, but um, look at the blessings and look for all of them all the time. And out of that was three houses. And then the other guys, I helped him sell the other two properties he had to two of my students. So he got out of all of his and we took care of the other person. Tim, this has been my favorite Deals Gone Bad episode. Well, this has been a good one. I love this. Well, you know, I try to make it great for you, Joe. You're one of my favorites. Awesome. It's just real estate is exciting in St. Louis. There's always something to do and learn. And there's all kind of ranges. I mean, you can go from $5,000 property to, you know, as much as you want. I have students that buy $150,000 rental properties, you know, and put 30-year notes on. I had a guy call me yesterday. He buys deep in the city, in the war zone. And he was like, how are property, how are your tenants paying? Because he's a little frustrated because he's in the war zone. Mm-hmm. And they know now in St. Louis that they can't be kicked out because of the CARES program and COVID. So some of them are just sitting back and not paying. And he's like, you know, I can't do anything. He 
owns all his buildings free and clear as well. So he's setting in a good position. It's just, it's frustrating because your hands are tied and there's nothing you can do. How are you doing with rent collection? I was doing pretty well. I've got some student, I got some people who are actually bus drivers and work in school environments. So they're, they're really, really hurting now. There has been some agency help that'll come in and pay two or three months. Um, but since some of those houses I own free and clear, I just forgive that month's rent and say, rather than move them out and try to have somebody else come in, they've been great tenants for me. And you just, or they'll say, I can pay 300 bucks. And you say, it's great. I'll take 300 bucks. But it's, I've got some, I've got, two properties in a, in war zones and they're, they're rough. Yep. They're rough. So it's, it's very, very challenging because some people, even though there's money being made available, it's not made available to everybody, especially if they were under the radar to begin with. They, uh, it's just not going to work for them. And this is a very trying time for some of those people. Yeah. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? How do you feel? Which I stay upbeat all the time. You know that, but it's, it's, this is this is not ever going to go back to the normal. I tell people this is the new abnormal, and we need to look for opportunities among the abnormal. And that's what I'm doing. I am anticipating that when they do allow foreclosures and and evictions to happen, there's going to be opportunity for investors I'm trying to get moneyed up. You know, that private money growing so that it can sit on the sideline, and the moment that happens, be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my thought. But I don't. I think that we're in for this at least six to eight months. Six to eight, eight more months. I'm predicting a year or two, I think. Housing is always kind of a lagging indicator too, isn't it? It's You see the re, the economy in terms of jobs and the going down. I, I almost said stock market, but this, whatever the stock market is doing. But like usually housing happens after that. And I've, I've been talking to people in the commercial real estate, uh, commercial construction space, and that's been really, really bad. Hit hard, laying lots of people off, some big construction companies on the verge of going in bankruptcy. And it's pretty bad. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot. There's, here's the cool thing about housing, which is what I love, especially in the areas that you're in. There will always be a demand for housing. People always need a roof over their heads mm-hmm. and they'll find a way to get jobs. They'll, they, there are jobs out there. And uh, in, that, in that, when you're dealing with the bread and butter, median priced homes, the class C neighborhoods, these are hardworking people and they will, they'll find a way to get paid, to make, to get a job and to, and to pay this rent. You be really careful on who you select. I mean, and that's why when we we're going to be putting a boot camp on in January, just kind of educating people on how and who you take in that environment and really where do you pick to be your investment area. Um, and it kind of fits your nature too. So you got to know what's going on based on you and not somebody else's plan. Like some people can't adopt my business model because, you know, multiple reasons why. Some people, one, they just don't want to distance. Uh, they feel that race has a, a thing to play in it. Fear. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, they like nicer houses. They want appreciation. I don't bank any of my stuff on appreciation model. It's just cash flow. So different philosophies. And do you manage your own properties yourself too? About 20% of mine, I do. The easy, easy ones. Uh, the hard ones, I have a property manager who manages them. And he, you know, would go in a neighborhood and collect the money on a weekly basis or whatever. And we meet once a month. I'm sorry. I was just um, texting a uh, friend of mine who I was supposed to have a phone call with here in one minute. But I want to just ask you a few questions about that. You have a, uh, you manage some of your own properties. What, what makes you determine whether you manage them yourself or whether you have a company do it? If it's really, really easy, I do it. Like I've got some three, I got three trailers that are outside of St. Louis. I don't want him driving there. If it's easy and they're going to send the money to me easily and it's something I don't have to maintain maintenance wise. I don't, I don't mind doing that, but if it's hard and it's, you know, constant make readies, you got to do a need to cruise and all that stuff. I let him do that. All right. Let's talk lessons learned. 
Tim, what would you have done differently on this deal? Always, always, always have a checklist. Um, no matter what you do, maintain that, pull it up. No matter how many years you've been doing things, you, you're still human and you forget things. That was probably the biggest thing I had to do. Don't vary from your pattern. I, I don't have an issue moving the closing up. I just didn't do the things I normally do the day before the closing. What could you have done differently with the insurance because of what was going on? Could you, um, You're just saying if you would have asked for it or made sure you got it, if I'd have paid for it the same day that I closed, I'd have been fine. I would have been covered. It would have been as simple as windblown. It wouldn't even. It wouldn't even have been a question. They'd have paid the money, and it'd have been solved. And how much would it have cost? Probably would have cost the same amount. It may be higher because I would use real, you know, qualified people to put the roof on and all this. It probably would have been a fifty to fifty-five thousand dollar claim to them. Oh, how much would the insurance premium have cost? Oh, five hundred bucks. Yeah, and then um, two fifty maybe paid a quarter. And this is a company that does the um, construction insurance, right? Yes. But they still do homeowners insurance as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the, are they, do they still insure this house? Yes. They're still okay. Yeah. Yeah, they asked me how it's going to be and all that stuff. And we had, I still send people to him. It was my fault. It was my fault. There was no, nobody's fault other than mine, period. Would, any other lessons learned? Anything else you would have done differently? You just go forward. I mean, it was a great learning experience for my students because they're like freaking out. What are you going to do? I'm like, there's only the one thing you can do. You finish the house. That's such a big lesson learned right there to get a coach. My goodness. Especially when you're dealing in the tougher areas. Right. Um, you got to get a coach who's familiar with the neighborhoods, who's familiar with the community, with the people there, with the the city inspectors. I mean, especially in a city like Jennings, if you're if you don't know that or not, but like you've got to get a coach that knows the areas and knows this is a good bank to use. This is a good insurance company to use. This is a good contractor, good property manager. This is a good deal. This is a bad deal, right? These are good tenants. This, these are not good tenants. And especially when you're investing in the areas of the city, like we're talking about, got to get a coach that's been there, done that, has that t-shirt, understands, been the, made the mistakes, survived them, has rebounded. Um, Tim has been through a lot. We didn't even get a talk about his story from the past but this is just a recent bad story gone back <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of houses I got, I got several i could tell you but it's not going to knock you down the thing with real estate is people have war stories but you got to keep going you just keep going you're not going to have one out of a hundred that's going to be bad but you're going to have a bad story all right well tim how can people get a hold of you they get a hold of me uh tim at h-a-f-p-i-n-c.com or my phone number is 314-283 Six zero two two. Is that the right? That is email right there. Yeah. Tim at h a f as in Frank p as in Peter i n c dot com. What does that stand for? Headache free properties. Headache free properties. That's cool. And then a phone number. Did I get this right? Three one four two eight three six zero two two. Fabulous. And if you want to throw the income for life boot camp up there, it's iflbootcamp.com. Maybe happening in January. IFL Bootcamp, Income for Life, bootcamp.com. You're going to be doing that in January, virtual or live in person? Virtual. Virtual. Okay. What are you going to be teaching people in that? All the steps that are necessary to have investment property and refinancing out and never running out of cash. The uh, mastermind will start up a week after that, which will be a 12-week course where you, you know, hands-on, walk you through every part of the process that I just shared with you how to get financing, how to set your company up, how to get contractors, how to get renters, and how to refinance. Nice. Yeah, I really recommend you guys check this out. IFLbootcamp.com. Tim has been in the business a long time. He's coached the coach that 
I has coached me and he knows the business and he's got the bruises to prove it, but he's survived. He's rebounded. He's come back, which I, this has been my favorite deals gone bad podcast. They were all good, but this one is really good. And I wish we had more time to talk about it, Tim. But again, your email, if people are wanting to get some information about working with you, maybe even being a private lender, I don't know, you're still looking for money. Definitely private. Tim at hafpinc.com, phone number 314-283-6022. And his boot camp coming up, iflbootcamp.com. Tim, I'm sorry I got to go. Um, I'm late for another call. It's been a really good podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great holiday. All right. We will talk later, Tim. I know you had a question, but uh, let's talk later. And uh, we'll see you all later, guys. Have a good one. Uh, happy holidays, happy Merry Christmas, happy New Year, happy Thanksgiving, happy Hanukkah, all that good stuff. We will see you guys later. Take care. Bye. Take care.